Hello everyone, I'm Tyler Green, and welcome to Season 1 of We Will Flourish. Conversations and stories of flourishing together in Oklahoma City. We Will Flourish is not a newsreel of current events or knowledge base of data or statistics. Rather, it is a tapestry woven from human stories and perspectives, helping us both to celebrate our successes as a city and learn from our mistakes. In season one, we're having a conversation around the theme of movement towards conciliation, framed in listening, repentance, and action, and how it pertains to systems and power dynamics. One of the issues that really came about was that you bring people into the same situation and you really do expect that you're starting from the same starting point, but nobody at the table is starting from the same starting point. Well, I'm, I'm grateful and glad that today we're going to be able to have a meaningful conversation and really an opportunity to to listen to each of you um, and to really allow you to reflect, to share from your own experiences and perspective um, around this theme of a movement towards conciliation, of listening, repentance, and action through the lens and the framework of systems and power. So... This is the conversation we're going to have today. I'm so excited to have each of you, Ron, Malika, Kim, you're, you're each friends of mine. And so in some ways, these are new conversations for us. And some of these conversations we've, we've already had or are beginning to have. And so here we are um, just getting to, to dive in a little deeper and hear from each of you. Um, so to begin, I'd love to just have a quick introduction for each of you. Just share a little about who you are. Um, what sector of work that you're you're coming from, and also what's what's your own kind of heart, passion, focus of the work here in the city, just to give a perspective of where you're coming from. So I'll ask Ron. Can you go first, bro? So my full time job is being an electrical engineer at Tinker Air Force Base, but when I'm not there, I am leading a nonprofit organization that focuses on under-resourced families in Northwest Oklahoma City called Hope for Generations, where we are just building relationships with the families and mentoring the young people and just trying to be friends with the people who who are in our community and and not trying to be any kind of savior or anything like that. Like we just want to be be their friends and uh, be a resource to them where possible and and lean on them in our time of need as well. Um, I'm Malika Cox and I work in restorative justice. I've studied um, both criminal justice reform, restorative justice, as well as transitional justice, which is really my um, my passion, which is talking about um, justice when it comes to post-atrocity and how we uh, find ways to come together, speak truth, make amends, grieve over the past, and ultimately find uh, reconciliation and hope and um, unity. But we don't get that without actually looking at the truth. And so I am very passionate about um, any of these types of justice um, that address uh, uh, post-atrocity. So that's kind of my passion. And in the city, I, I see that we have lots of, to do with our incarceration rates and lots of things that we can look into in the past so that we can have a better future. 
I'm Kim Bandy, and I work with an organization called the Sparrow Project, and we are, um, we look to be good neighbors and friends and networks to new neighbors joining us as resettled refugees, um, resettled to the U.S. and then Oklahoma in particular um, by the U.N. Um, and new neighbors are joining us every year, and we're just really committed to knowing and valuing and learning from these neighbors and making Oklahoma City the most welcoming city it can be. Uh, thanks for the intro. Uh, first question we're going to have as we talk about this theme of conciliation, reconciliation, systems, power. Um, when it comes to dialogue and race reconciliation conversations, how do we have a common starting point when people come from different collective communities, lived experiences, and different rights and status? I know for myself, whenever I'm just talking to, to anybody, I try to get an idea of where they're coming from, what their belief system is. I've been blessed to have relationships with a wide variety of people. Uh, so, so in those experiences, I've been able to at least pick up an idea of, you know, different perspectives and, and lifestyles. One of the first things I try to do in just a one-on-one or even, you know, just a group conversation, I try to figure out a baseline understanding of what the, the topic is. And once I have been able to identify where someone's coming from, then it better enables me to to have a conversation with them and to to interject my perspective, uh, you know, so it's not like I'm just waiting for an opportunity for me to just share my opinion. I'm trying to get a, a real understanding of what what their thoughts are and then kind of just start from the first common ground that we can identify and just go from there. You know, when um, you look at dialogue, when I did, was studying um, in Ireland and both in Israel, Palestine, and I was uh, looking to see where dialogue was and um, and how it really hadn't furthered uh, really any kind of peaceful coexistence since the 70s. And one of the issues that really came about was that you bring people into the same situation and you really do expect that you're starting from the same starting point. Mm. But nobody at the table is starting from the same starting point. Um if you are somebody who can cross the street as opposed to a five-hour trip, already there's a dynamic involved that says that one person has taken a longer, uh, more uh, difficult journey to get to the table. If you're coming in and your life's in jeopardy in the process, which is uh true in a lot of the situations when it came to Israel-Palestine, if people were coming through the checkpoints or they were going into segregated neighborhoods, uh, the same with the Irish um, Catholics and Protestant British. If you're in a certain neighborhood, your life is in danger. So when you're coming into a table to discuss race conciliation, everyone's coming from a different journey. People take longer uh, drives there. People risk their lives there. And some people come without any issues at all. You can't have any type of authentic dialogue until you address 
the journey it takes people to come to the table and the power dynamics that are at play. At some point, they will come up. And if it's not addressed, it will leave one side very frustrated. And so it has to be talked about, ideally in the beginning, so you can establish that that there is no starting point. <laughs> there may be common ground, common ground in humanity, but the reality is everybody has a different starting point when they're going to the meeting. So I think that it's just really important to address that right off the bat to understand we're not all coming from the same place. I think particular to like the conversation in Oklahoma City or in the United States about conciliation related to race. Um, in that conversation in particular, it is my responsibility solely as a white person, as someone who has been in, in particular evangelical spaces. I'll kind of say there's some kind of added layers there. I, I think it's my responsibility to recognize in every conversation about race and conciliation that um, the schooling I had, the upbringing I had, the media that is around us has convinced me that I I am the neutral starting point. Um, like Malika is saying, it has convinced me that I am um, that I have a kind of an equal playing field with everyone when it is. It's my responsibility to understand I can go into conversations about race and my personhood isn't being discussed. My inherent rights aren't being still discussed. Um, And so that in itself is a power dynamic where I can casually perhaps have a conversation where I feel like I'm disagreeing with a concept, um, but someone else is talking about their personhood and dignity and identity. Um, and that in every conversation particular, I think to race or gender, I could talk about, you know, the other side there is maybe someone who's going into conversations talking about gender. And I feel, I can feel that weight of like, wait, you're just talking about a concept. You are going to leave this conversation and go get a cup of coffee and it will not affect you. And I'm going to spend the rest of the day recovering from the fact that I had to defend my personhood. And so, um, in every conversation about race in the city, I would say, um, that anyone who has, in who has always been given the power to hold the conversations and to lead the discussions and to be in charge of systems, there is no starting point until you go in there with that understanding and knowing it's ingrained and that you have to fight against it with every bit of your being. Wow. Thank you. And I think that's just, for both Malik and Kim, um, over the last couple of years that we've gotten to kind of journey and work together, um, I've really been a student of both of you in that and understanding that that what my role is and understanding when I come to the table, understanding those power dynamics. Um, Malika, could you just kind of, I mean, we're, we're throwing around this idea of power dynamics. Could you give us just a little bit more frame, some kind of basic understanding of what what you mean when, or what we mean when we talk about power dynamics. Definitely. I think what we can do is kind of paint a picture. Say, um, particularly we take Oklahoma City, we take a meeting that's on race conciliation. Um, we do that and we bring people from um, certain members of the community together. We decide to hold it in Edmond, which is a predominantly um, 
kind of white suburban city that was founded by um it was founded because of white flight. It actually was a sundown town. It has a history of racism. And then that isn't addressed. Um, and then somebody's allowed to go to the meeting who say that their job is, um, allows them the flexibility. They're maybe upper middle class and they can include that in their job. So they don't really have to take any time off work and they're not missing a paycheck. And they're driving to something that's a few minutes away to have this conversation that again is what Kim said, uh, more of a more of an idea. Um, is there racism? That's kind of the question. So they're going to this idea. And then there's a person, say, coming from maybe the northeast side of Oklahoma City. Now they're going to have to t say that they have to take off work that day. It might be a mom. And she... Um, is going to have to ensure she has a babysitter. She's not going to get paid for the day. She's driving into Edmond, um, and maybe she is uh, pulled over. And this is actually more of an emotional, uh, traumatic situation for her as she's pulled over because she's been watching black people be killed by the police on the news. It's very traumatic for her. And so it's a completely different journey for her to come to the table. Now she's sitting at the table. Her journey is different than, say, the person who lives in Edmund's journey. Right there, we have to look at power dynamics. For one thing, in this country... She, uh, her ancestry as at some point wasn't considered actual human beings, was considered um, property. Now she's, and actually her generations weren't necessarily connected to um, the redlining or the Home Ownership Act or any of these things that would give her access to building wealth in this country. Now she's here and she hasn't had the two, three hundred years of building her family to build up wealth, so she had to take the day off. This is completely different mm. rights and status, and it's it's a lived experience for the person who's very well-meaning in Edmund, who's crossing the street, who can include it part of his day. But he also will say that he's a man, and so there's a dynamic right there. Like, a man can, if he wants to, jog at night. Um, women can't because they risk being violently attacked in their reproductive organs. So we have to look at all the power dynamics mm. at play. And you bring these two people together, and as Kim said, one idea is a concept, and one is my lived experience and the intergenerational trauma embedded into my DNA from 100 years of oppression, you've got radically different starting points. Now, if that's overlooked, then we could just go on to, hey, we both really like omelets, and I like going to the lake at Hefner, and you like going to the lake at Hefner. Oh my God, you're a human being. I'm a human being. This is great. Well, that's only great for a couple times you meet because the woman who's driving from a different part of town is going to be like, hey, I don't make the same amount of money as you do as a woman. And as a black woman, I face constant discrimination and racial trauma almost daily when I'm followed in a store. I want to address the past legacy of racism and oppression, and I'm glad you like going to Hefner. That's great. When do we start talking about macro power dynamics that can makes us equal in our society that isn't actually real in praxis, maybe legally, but not in reality?
Mm. Ron, what are you what are you hearing? What are you reflecting on as you're hearing Malika share and kind of give us even a, a greater understanding of power dynamics? Uh, so to kind of add to what I was talking about earlier, so a lot of a lot of the circles that I run in, I'm going to be one of, if not the only, like one of very few black people in the room. And when I when discussions about race come up, I tend so like you, you know I try to find like that that baseline of where everyone in the room is in relation to that. Like okay, so everyone in the room knows that slavery was was a bad thing. Okay, we can all agree on that. Cool. Uh, is, is everyone aware of the the Tulsa race massacre? Okay, we all know that that was a bad thing. Okay, and then kind of like uh, so, kind of work from from there. But in terms of power dynamics, like I try to, it, it's it's funny what Malika was talking about because I know a lot of times when I go into a setting, I have to like talk myself up. I used I used to play football. And I almost have to go through a similar process that I did when I played football. So if, if this happens, then I'm going to have to respond this way. Ron, remember to let your voice be heard. Don't let yourself kind of sink in. If you feel you're, if you mm. feel like you're outnumbered, don't, don't let any of that kind of stuff happen. But then I also try to think about it from, I still try to allow room for a level of grace, not to where I'm like allowing them to, to get away with things or walk over me, but. Oftentimes I try to remember how I feel when it comes to the, the men, women power dynamic. And I try to, I try to allow how, how I felt during those conversations to, to at least let me show a level of grace when I'm talking about different things with, with people who may have a hard time grasping what it is that I'm trying to share with them. Thank you for joining us for this episode of We Will Flourish. Consider subscribing to our podcast and following us on Instagram at all.flourish. You can also reach out to us through our website, flourishokc.com. We will flourish when we flourish together.